0: what to expect, Um, but I saw it coming when at 6.30, Josh said, I'm feeling miserable. Um, So uh, we will be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But before we start, or before I read that passage, um, there are two, you know, Paul is writing to the saints at Ephesus. And unbelievers, non-believers, you know, they, they have, generally speaking, they have a, a mindset, I am good, I could be better, and I think I'm going to heaven. You know, whatever that means to them. You know, there, there's this positive outlook. There could be another group of people that say, Um, you know, I'm miserable. I think I could do better, uh, but I don't know. And in the end, they are, just like the first group, without hope. And Paul is addressing the Christians at Ephesus. So this is not written, or this letter is not given to the general public. This is given to the church. So, um, Paul is writing this letter from prison, most likely Rome, when he was there, roughly around, I think, 62 B.C., if I remember correctly. Um, I'm sorry, A.D., um, B.C., A.D., 62. Um, Chapter 1 in Ephesians is the general uh the great eternal salvation plan that God has given us that are, that is in Christ chapter 2 talks about the Christian and talks about who he is and who they are so if you will open your bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and let's read <clears throat> which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I humbly come before you, and I pray that your Spirit would be about us, about the teaching of your Word. And I pray that you would, as you have promised, not let your Word come back void. Lord, we thank you for your Word, and we pray that you would be with us now. And it's in Christ's name. I pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so Paul, I need, all right. Sorry. Excuse me. I need a, a new Bible, and it wants to close on me and I'm gonna fight it all the whole time and I'm trying not to. Okay, so in Ephesians two, verses one through three. There'll be three points. Our condition before Christ, our position with Christ, and our response. Again, our condition before Christ comes into our life. Our position with Christ and our response. The first three verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He is giving this letter to believers. There is not a believer that's ever existed that was not in this position. We are all from this state and it's because of God's grace that we have been brought out of this state, this state of unbelief, this state of that we were dead in our trespasses. We aren't kind of dead. We aren't, well, we're good, we can do good things. No, we are dead. Spiritually speaking, we are walking corpses, and we will experience God's wrath. That was true then, and it's true today. So if you do not have Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you today that you would come speak with me and know the reality of the risen Savior and His resurrection. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I mean, think of that. Do we ever think of think that way when we are non-believers? No, not at all. We think we're OK. You know, back in high school, you want, you want to do your own way. You want to do your own thing. you know better than your parents. But as you get older, you start realizing, hey, they might have their act together and they know some things. You know, I was shocked the other day that one of my sons came up to me and says, you know, Dad, you know, you have some wisdom. am like, oh, really? Well, cool. You know, that's a, that's, 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 a, that's a blessing that he sees it. It really is. Um, but we all walked in after the the sons of disobedience. We were all that way. Paul includes himself in verse 3. Paul includes himself, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind and body, and were by nature children of wrath. Now, this... Uh, children of wrath, and carrying out the desires of our flesh, there's many places in Scripture that talks about what does the desires of the flesh look like. But one page over in Galatians 5, starting in, I think, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Then in verse 19, This is that power of the flesh. This is the flesh that has no desire of the things of God. Whether we want to or not, which we do not, as an unbeliever, we have no desire. None whatsoever. It's interesting that... At the, kind of the end of verse 3, it says, And were by nature children of wrath. Not men of wrath, not women of wrath, but children of wrath. Can you all picture in your head a young child that's angry? Can you all see how they, when you know what's best they can actually kick and scream and pull and try to drag you to what they want. I think we all can relate somehow, some way. Even though I thought my grandson, when he was born, was next to perfect, which I quickly realized he was not, Um, I saw him the other day pulling against. It was either Shelby or Thomas. And it was a picture of... The, the, the nature that is about him. So what is this nature? What is this nature? You know, when God created the Garden of Eden, he placed Adam and Eve in there. And when he created Adam and Eve, they were told, do not do this. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only thing they could not do. There were things they had to do, but that was the one thing not to do. So they had the ability to not sin. But they also had the ability to disobey. And they disobeyed. And because Adam was the head of the human race, when he sinned, we inherited his sin we inherited that guilt as david writes in psalm 51 verse 5 i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me there is nothing good in us i mean yeah we might do a good deed but deep down that pride is there saying look at me look what i've done look what i've accomplished And so here, Paul, to the letter of Ephesians, is addressing these issues that are um, facts in these believers' lives of who they were prior to God moving in their life. Verse 4 But God. There is nothing else we can do or say but God. Because we can't do anything. We are unable to sin. I mean, unable to to (laughs) seek the Lord. And to save ourselves. There is no hope in us without Jesus Christ. He and Him alone is our salvation. But God... Verse four, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And that same verse, dead and alive, while we were dead in our trespasses, we became alive. Why did we become alive? Because of what God did, because of his great mercy because of his love for you not for everybody he I mean he loves his creation sure but there's a special love for his believers a special love that only God can give you and call you out of this present darkness that we live in that we were born into In John chapter 6, verse 44 tells us, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's so many rich things in that, those few words. No one can come to me. Why? Because the Father hadn't called him. But if the Father calls you, you will come, and he will draw you to him and then there's that little promise at the end of that verse and i will raise him up on the last day for all eternity you will be with god the father with your savior jesus christ and you know for for us believers that's kind of that's almost too hard to imagine Right? It's almost too hard to. What does that look like? It's not dependent on you and what you think. It's what God tells us in His Word. His Word is truth, and you can rely on it. It is truth for the salvation of His people, and you can trust it. Again, there is nothing we can do. God moves first. Only God can move. We will fight and resist the gospel with all of our being unless God moves first. God's Spirit, once He moves, He transforms our heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that we might willingly come to Jesus. That's the crazy thing. You know, before the movement of his spirit in your life, you will fight him. You will deny he ever exists. That's foolishness. That's rubbish. How dare you throw that in my face? That's just a, that's just a book. Maybe a good book, but that's not God's word. As Josh likes to say, it's in black and white, it's right there. It's what he promises. So this transformation, creating out of a dead man, a man that's alive in Christ. Now let's look at verse 6. Verse 6. Again, this is God working. This is, you know, but God with being rich in mercy. Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. All right, verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's a tough one. I'm not literally seated with Christ, am I? It's kind of like we were, we died with Christ, we were raised with Christ, therefore we are seated with Christ. It's a spirituality, spiritual reality, not just of being saved, but our adoption into the family of God. There are benefits that are hard to imagine. and these benefits, being in Christ. Now, something else, and I'm sure you all saw it, there's multiple repetitions of being in Christ in these verses, in Jesus Christ, in Christ. You know, what, what you see here is everything God the Father, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in these verses. What are we doing? Nothing. What can you do? Nothing. Nothing to be saved. But after you're saved, and we're getting to that, we will see our response. In verse 7, so that in the coming ages, now get this, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to whom? to us in Christ Jesus to the believers to the people he's called to you, to me if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and by faith alone and all the five solas that Josh has just gone through or maybe are going through it is in him that we have our being we have our, our hope in Christ Jesus and solely in Him. It is, I believe, in verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. That is, the, if you will, the goal of what's happening. God the Father desires to show, to show you His love, His grace, His riches in Christ Jesus. We don't even know the reality of that yet. And until glory, we won't. But we can get taste of it. We can nibble on it. And we can see it. And where do we find it? In God's Word. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What have we been talking about for the past few minutes? That God performs everything. It is His gift to you, the believer, that He's called into His family. Do you understand that if He calls you, You're coming. There's no denying him. You might deny the word preached, but you won't deny the movement of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. And the Spirit is what will bring you. The Spirit is what points us to Christ. The Spirit working in us transforms us, transforms you, transforms me. Verse 9, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, it's a short verse, but it's put in there for a reason. Why? Because we're arrogant, we're prideful, we say, look at me. You know, part of the sanctification process is you. while you will never be sinless, you work to become sinless. You work to be to sinless, to, to, to be obedient, to be holy for the Father is holy. That's your desire. That's your calling. That's the race Paul wants us to run. But we have this propensity to be prideful and to think that we can, hey, we did some of this. You know, you get a call at 7 o'clock at night and the next morning you're preaching. Yeah, you better, uh, you realize how weak you are. Not just in preparation, but in pure ability. I mean, this is absolutely amazing that God has called me. Oops. (laughs) He has called me, and this morning... I was walking out to the truck, bringing, putting some stuff in there, and a non-believer that knows me, Foster knows him, maybe uh, Amanda does. Nick, owner of the gym next to me, he came up to me. and He said, "David, what you doing here?" We start talking, and I've, t- I've told him <laughs> I'm going to seminary. and told him I'm doing all this stuff, and he says, "Well, when you preach, I will be there." Well, he ain't here today, but I didn't have much notice to tell him. Um, but he said. He said, David, I'll come listen to you because I know your heart's right. You know, it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. Are you willing to be used by the Lord? Are you willing to train up your children and step in that conflict when it hurts and when you know they're going to be angry with you? I've failed many times, but I've also stepped up to the plate. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it's, it, it's the very being obedient to God's Word. In verse 10, our response. I get this. Everything up to now, God's done. But in verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created, again, in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are all called. We are called to do something. There is not a, well, that's a better occupation than this. If it's not sinful, God has called you right where he wants you. There's no doubt about it. And as, as his spirit moves in your life, he will reveal sin in your life are things that, like Josh has recently gone into, this conviction of abortion. You know, this is the spirit moving in his life, like all of our lives. And he is calling us to these good works. Notice that these good works just didn't come about when we were saved. They were prepared beforehand. I believe they were prepared when we were chosen, when we were elected, before the foundations of the world. Because these and the people that are around you are the opportunities that God is going to use in your life to impact them for Christ and you don't know who that is so we have to have that confidence presence awareness that we are being watched and so i would challenge you all to work those good works Not to earn anything, but to work out your salvation. To show the Father that you love Him. And that you want to be holy, for He is holy. So here's my question. Who are you walking with? Do you see your spiritual fruit? Do you see evidences that you are obeying the Father? Obeying Jesus? Or are you walking with the sons of disobedience? What's in your life? And only you know this. I don't know it. I can see what's happening on the outside, but I don't necessarily know what's happening on the inside. It's between you and the Lord. If you have any doubts or concerns about the path you are on, please come up here and let's talk. Let's take a few moments. Today is the day to know you will experience God's eternal and immeasurable grace forever and not His wrath because that is waiting for all unbelievers. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for Your Spirit to convict us of Your Word I pray that you would challenge us, you would transform us by the renewing of our mind, by sharpening our sword. Lord, help us, for we need your help. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this service. It's in Christ's name, for your glory I pray, amen.